Hi, welcome to In at the End. Here we are. Watching the legend. No. <laughs> oh, at the same together. time? That was cool. Watching the legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. Very cool. That's very cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, great we, episode. We should have planned out how we were going to introduce this episode. Right, yeah. Saying it together, that's cool. Yeah. Everybody loves that. <laughs> Everybody likes that kind of shit. Directed um, by Tim Van Patten, his first yeah. showing up as a director, which is pretty cool to see. He becomes such a regular with the show. Some of the best episodes. Yeah. And uh, written by Frank Rizzoli and David Chase. It's cool to see David Chase showing up again, yeah. getting involved. You know, I'd like to go back and see which of the ones he is credited on as a writer. I know, right. like, I know the first the episode episodes, and yeah. the last episode, yeah. but what's in between that he's... Are there any that he's a singular writer on them, or does he only do? That's a great question. Yeah, well, we'll see when we get there. Okay, yeah, we'll have to keep sure. keep an eye I'll on have it. To speak out of turn, I don't want to mess it up. No, I know. But it is interesting because when he's involved as a writer, I feel like we get a window into some of the main questions that The Sopranos is supposed to be asking. Big time. Some yeah. of the main like concerns of the show and um, kind of what the topics are that are kind of being examined Mm -hmm. at any given point in Mm -hmm. a season. So I think we definitely have that in this episode. Definitely. There's a lot of talk about what it means to be Italian-American, how that group is stereotyped, how that group is seen, what that identity means. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I feel like it's a more literal episode than some of the previous ones, less metaphorical. I feel like they really kind of play their play their hand the cards are kind of on the table about what this episode is about more than some others well and it's a lot more like in the dialogue in some ways even like we commented to each other that we are both like writing down a lot of quotes Mm -hmm. from this episode which is funny because christopher says when he's writing his script that he's going to work on the dialogue first right um and there are so many like hard-hitting quotes in this episode not so much in christopher's script (laughs) <laughs> right. But, <laughs> Does not seem like a great uh, script. Yeah, but it's a really dialogue-heavy script. We get we get characters speaking these things right out loud, right, yeah. instead of kind of hinting at them or us interpreting that. Right. Interesting. I think something that Christopher says really is a very important idea to the show, and that's when he says, it's like the fucking regularness of life is too hard for me. Yeah. I think that's a key point and idea in this show totally i think this show is so revolutionary because it takes this kind of seemingly glamorous world of the mob and it makes it so mundane and so everyday and so regular Mm -hmm. that it's really interesting to see how a a character like christopher is dealing with that and how all these characters are dealing with that like having polly come up and say i have no arc i this is what i've done i'm just half a wise guy and yeah, really taking a look at who these characters are and how they deal with that kind of mundane existence that they're all thrown into, yeah. even though it should seemingly be a lot more exciting. Well, and even just, you know, and that certainly within the con, like the the construct of the whole show, but even in this episode, right? Like we have this impending, oh my gosh, the feds, the indictments, like yeah. they're coming. And then the episode is a lot of just like waiting for that to happen. The, for most of the episode and yeah. then finally like yeah they come to the Sopranos house they break a bowl they break a bowl <laughs> yeah. um, they take the computers but like it doesn't have you know kind of like we've talked about before it doesn't really have that climactic arc right. to it it kind of just peters out they eat some dinner yeah 
you know. And that's something that this show has examined already. It's something that's, you know, I think shows up quite a bit, this idea of anticlimax. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we have definitely happening in this episode. Yeah. Um, how do we want to talk about this one? Do we want to kind of go bit by bit? Sure. We'll, come, we'll probably come back to this issue of identity because that was central to a lot of the big major Definitely. scenes. But I kind of want to talk about the dream sequence. Yeah, it's a great. That starts the episode. Probably it's the longest dream sequence we've had so far. I don't think it's the longest one that we ever have, though. No. Oh, definitely There's not. some really There's long some ones. really long ones. But yeah. I think the show is starting to get a little bit more ambitious with what it can do. We have the first use of filming with that kind of like sliding technique where you feel like you're kind of floating with the character. I Float. like that. It's so great. Yeah. And we see that again later. And it really has a certain feel to it. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, I love how it opens with him sitting in, in front of those pigs, right? And, he, and at first yeah. you see him. And you just think he's sitting there. And then you slowly, like, it just slowly starts to make you feel so uncomfortable. We get this, yeah. like, repeated dialogue back from, like, what Emil had said yeah. about the sausages, right? Yeah. So, or email, as <laughs> as he calls them, as Christopher calls them. And then I like how he looks at an espresso machine getting into right away at the beginning of the episode, kind of setting up this object or the symbol of Italian stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. Well, and then we have all these great, I just love like the disembodied hand that's in the freezer doing all these things. So it's first like feeding Adriana the sausage, like holding out this sausage for her to chew on. Yeah. And then she turns into Carmela. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the meaning of that is. And then. What we have at other points in the show, it was reminding me of Christopher reflecting on how he didn't want Adriana to turn into another Carmela Soprano. He has a line later on in the show of, you know... Interesting. kind of pushing out babies and kind of being this mob wife who, you know, it's not something that he... Is attracted to, or yeah. Is attracted to, so maybe you know somewhere in his subconscious he's already kind of wrestling with those. Yeah. Guys. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of that. Um, but I like how the hand is then like passing him the different foods from mm-hmm. inside the freezer. Yeah. And then he goes to the hand to give him the bullets, like those, yeah. you know. And then the hand grabs onto him. It's and very it, spooky. It's a. It's it kind is. of a nightmare that I would have actually. I feel. Yeah. <laughs> it's spooky. Hands. It's amazing. It's just such a great feeling. It's kind yeah. of like. Well, I don't even know it, like David Lynch sort of feeling. Yeah, totally, but, totally. Yeah, very, very eerie, and, but very creative. The way it's filmed is very unique to Sopranos, and you can yeah. kind of recognize it right away. I love the wind blowing also, like when he is serving, like making the sandwich, and there's mm-hmm. like stuff blowing around everywhere. Yeah. And well, which is interesting because that cuts to the wedding shortly after where they're playing Summer Wind. Oh, my one specialty on this podcast, maybe the one thing I can contribute that isn't available elsewhere is jazz musicians talking in depth about sopranos. So we need we need that in our world. We need that more in the world. It's an important niche that hasn't been filled. Shoot, I'm glad we're doing that. (laughs) Uh. But I I like in the in the dream sequence, too, where a male comes and he says, you fucked up and he talks about the bullet case. Yeah. And that's a good example of something that we see quite a bit in the show, which is of events happening in dream sequences or through people's subconscious wrestling with ideas that actually pushes the plot and the narrative forward right? and makes people and actually, act in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So then Christopher goes and um, he digs up this body. Yeah. And that's something that happens within his dream. So that's a little bit irregular for a TV show to have a development from a dream sequence right away. So yeah, this this show really plays with ideas of 
you know, where things can be developed from, and it's it's very unique. Yeah. Um, what does he originally want on his sandwich? I know he changes it to Black Forest ham. Salami, I think. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting it? because <laughs> in that first episode, and yeah. the line that's being repeated is when Emil is talking about, we have... Have you tried our sausages? Have you tried our sausages? We like pork, too, or something or, yeah, like that. Yeah, we like your meat in Czech Republic, too. <laughs> I don't know. I think but they're talking about pork. Porks, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's interesting in the context of this episode where it's examining Italian-American identity so closely and what that means. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, thinking about people's identity and thinking about affiliating with a culture. And we're looking at this kind of microcosm of Italian-American society, but there's also these other ethnic or cultural groups that exist on the kind of periphery of the Sopranos world that also have an identity and cultural norms that maybe we aren't investigating, but are kind of equally relevant. Maybe, yeah, and maybe when we start to talk about identity, we can come back to that. Like, it's not unique to Italian-Americans to have stereotypes associated with them. You Mm -hmm. know, like it is, it's in... It's in every culture, and there's these kind of, like, identifiers that are used to mm-hmm. discuss. I mean, even, like, even in our first encounter with Emil, is he Czech or is he Polish? Uh, he's Czech, I think. He's Czech, but Christopher calls him Polish, right? Or something well, like... Well, then there's the Polish joke and the, the yeah. bad comedian who talks about Polish Rashomon, which yeah. is a great Rashomon reference, considering in the first episode we brought up Rashomon because of the shot between the legs where the show starts. Mm. Being or maybe potentially, I don't. I don't get what it even means. I don't to have get a it. Polish Rashomon. <laughs> I was in Poland recently, and they didn't all have the same perspectives. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't know yeah. that stereotype. Maybe that's a stereotype, yeah. but maybe I perhaps. Maybe it is a stereotype. <laughs> We've just created it, but yeah. So like you know like, but I forget. I forget what Christopher thought. I think. I think Christopher did call Emil Polish. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. Yeah, Yeah. and so it is. It's like, and and he's trying to clarify. Like, he corrects Christopher a number of times. I wish I could remember exactly. But, yeah, like, he has his, like, they have their own sausages that are culturally relevant, just like salami is culturally relevant, too. And yet, the Italian-American experience is a little bit unique. It's something that's been talked about a lot, Mm -hmm. and it's examined through the lens of film. In this Mm -hmm. episode, they talk about Goodfellas, you know, potentially the gangster, the mob movie being the classic American cinema at this mm. point. And also living in the U.S., the Italian-American experience is rather unique. Yeah. And has been talked about and examined quite a bit. Totally. And is pretty prevalent in the general culture. So that was interesting to see the two meals, thinking mm-hmm. about the food they were eating. Mm-hmm. And I think those two scenes kind of embody some of these questions. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think as a, a you were saying about understanding of the Italian-American experience. Like, I think a lot of people think that they have a grasp on what it is to be Italian-American, right? Like, the foods people would... It kind of is like what Melfi's son was saying. Like, you know, they're going to... or And Melfi's ex-husband, Richard. They were saying, like, it's going to be about Goodfellas, Godfather, and then pizza, right? And, like, people do, like... I think people more than other cultures, like feel free to speak on Italian-American culture and, like, say that they know things about it, right? And we have that weird list in the Soprano meal, that, like, strange list of 
people Foods, that they go who through. Who invented the the telephone? Yeah, they have Francis Albert, right. which I we had to Frank. watch with yeah. the subtitles to realize that they were talking about Frank Sinatra. The Cosa Nostra, talking Meadow, kind of glibly bringing that up. Yeah, about the Lucky Luciano being yeah. the founder of the Cosa Nostra. So it is. It's like you know, as a and I didn't know a lot of those references. Real, I mean, I've heard them maybe, but like I think more so than other cultures in America, we kind of feel like we have ownership over Italian-American culture also, right? So right. Um, I think there is that aspect. And then, so if that's what you're known for, how do you differentiate yourself from that? Or what is your identity? Right, then? and I think identity is a big part mm-hmm. of this episode. It was interesting in those food scenes to see the foods they were eating in mm. the Melfi family, they were literally eating spaghetti and meatballs, t- red sauce. Yeah, it the most looked like stereotypical your, looked like your godmother's house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, at the Soprano household, they're eating Chinese food, drinking Coke. So it does really ask the question of maybe, who you know, who is American or what is yeah. Italian-American and what is that culture? They also have interesting art up at the Melfi household or the Melfi they did, grandparents. Yeah. So there was one piece that I didn't really recognize all that much mm-hmm. it was like a little more abstract but then they had this like neoclassical portrait mm-hmm. up so I mean, um, was that the one it almost looks like a Modigliani or something in the room outside looking in it wasn't quite Modigliani because it, like it was re- it was realism yeah right. um but it was not Italian right let's put it that way what Modigliani would be right just I just meant in, in terms of the the angle of the like the her, person her that head was being, was yeah, the of curvature yeah. of the, yeah, kind of the composition yeah. of the person kind of. Remember. And then they had this like relief sculpture, like a metal relief sculpture that looked like a Last Supper kind of scene. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell. And that was like behind Dr. Malfi. Right. And in, there was some more international kind of. Well, yeah. And then they had all this too, like Asian there? pottery right. behind them as well. Yeah. Um, so, and it was like there wasn't anything, maybe besides that Last Supper and the food on the table, like. Things that would indicate Italianness, right. you know, and the wine. There was red wine on the table, but and in the Soprano household, not really either. Like it's not like they've got Italian flags up or anything like that. But we see them eating this like very American meal of Chinese yeah. food and Coke. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be like it'd be one thing if the Melfis were eating pizza that would have had like sent a different message. Right. Right. But they were eating like quite tradi- a traditional Italian type meal with like the meats cooked separately in the sauce. That always makes me think of right. your godmother. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It is interesting, though, how they both explicitly talk about how they identify as Italian-American. Mm hmm. And how they engage with that, like what their meals are, mm. what the culture of their family mm-hmm. is. Because that's clearly something that's important to both of those families. But they both have different kind of buttons in terms of what offends them. Yeah. Yeah. So that you, we brought that one up as we were watching it. So at the Melfi household, they're talking about the word guinea, which... Right. Uh, which I don't know where that stems from really either. I do know it's derogatory, right? But that's kind of basically what Melfi's son says. He's like, well, what does it mean? Where right. does it come from? And Richard is like, it's derogatory or yeah. whatever. He like totally brushes them off, doesn't even really explain it. And then later on when Ton- Tony says, and Chris are in the car. He not this skinny guinea. Yeah. When, when Tony talks about, do you think you're depressed? He says, I'm no mental midget. Yeah, very, very interesting. And he kind of like, yeah, embraces it in in some way or another, right? And I think that's the thing is like we 
we all do like in terms of maybe even in terms of our arc right like we all do have choices about how we choose to conceptualize our own identity yeah. but there's always going to be these outside forces that are putting identities on us that we don't necessarily choose right um there's also something interesting too about examining those two families there's something kind of i guess like sub- seemingly highbrow about the melfi family it's kind of like a more refined it's, more, it's a more refined family unit in terms of their topics of conversation, the ways they interact. But there's also something kind of extremely pretentious about it. They're very annoying. They're very Even annoying. Even more so than at that meal, but when they're at their therapy, uh, their session. therapy session. Yeah, that yeah. one, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. The son is also so annoying. Right. The way, just like the way his voice sounds like. It kind of reminded me of actually Six Feet Under in terms of like a psychiatrist family. Yeah. Therapist talking about. Yeah, yeah these issues I know. amongst themselves, and it's it's a lot. But yeah. it's just really interesting to see these topics being seen through the lenses of the Soprano family and their position, as well as this kind of, this family that occupies a different space in society, mm. but is looking at the same issues, mm. is passionate about the same issues, mm-hmm. and is defined by the same issues. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about maybe this is just kind of random but there was this one like the kind of I guess the arc of this episode is you know around these indictments but it's largely around Christopher this is through Christopher's Mm -hmm. perspective right so it's it's kind of his arc from not feeling valued and not feeling important and And not not and not has an identity not feeling like he has an identity within the mafia and within life um, and then it goes from then, you know, the climactic point at the end is him seeing his name in the newspaper. And I love when he buys right. all the newspapers. It's but the Star Ledger, right? It's the Star Ledger. Which is interesting because yeah. we also see Livia reading that for the obituaries at a different point right. in, this, in this episode. In last episode, I think. <laughs> no, in this episode. Really? Yeah. So we see her looking through with a magnifying glass in the last yeah. episode. There's a tiny moment when she's in Green Grove. Oh, she's reading before Carmela gets there. And you can there. see the back of the... Yeah. There's a lot of these that's, examples. That's just of, the Sopranos news. They always use that paper. I think. There is, but I think there's a lot of examples of like referencing something multiple times in one episode. Something showing up two times to connect characters. Totally. There's this web, and everybody's kind of connected. Even like with that that line that you were talking about, where invariably everything's going to reference Goodfellas and pizza. Even that's kind of ironic because we're clearly referencing Goodfellas in the scene in the bakery where Michael Imperioli's now shooting the baker in the foot where in Goodfellas he's playing Spider who's shot in the foot Mm -hmm. so it's kind of this kind of like reference I Mm -hmm. think but yeah no but in terms of Christopher's arc I like the progression I just really like the progression of how it goes for him like he goes from at the wedding when they find out about these indictments his first comment is they're gonna want my ass that's what he says which I think is a really great line and he interacts a lot with Georgie, who now right. I remember now his, his name. <laughs> Georgie, with the, his fake tattoos. Um, and he interacts a lot with Georgie, and he, that's what he said. He's like, they're going to want my ass. And Georgie's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then we get this great, um, this great scene where Georgie calls Chris. And this is when the TV, when the TV segment is on about these indictments, mm-hmm. right? With that speaker, yeah. that guest speaker who is annoying and seems to know about the mafia. So Georgie calls Chris, and then we see Chris and Adriana watching the show, and there's a cut. Well, we can still hear the 
what's going on on the TV, it cuts to Melfi's home and we see her watching this same segment on TV, which then cuts again, the audio continues, cuts to Carmela and Tony sitting on their couch watching it. It then cuts back to Chris and Adriana and that's when they mention Brendan in the episode. And so then right. Chris is mad and he calls Georgie back. So we have this cycle from Georgie calling him to like him calling Georgie back at the right. end of that segment. I just thought that was yeah all through this show being played. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we have Chris talking about, you know, yeah, these things like where's my arc and, and you know, direct world, like I've got no identity. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see him talk about that. I think it's also interesting for me to see the introduction of Chris and, to some extent, Polly as a major character. Yeah. And I think this show really thrives and is one of the best examples of a true ensemble show where there's so many characters that are completely developed and given a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And in this first season, they've kind of been slowly developing the characters kind of one by one even. It seems like characters, like each episode kind of gets a new character that gets flushed out a little bit more. Yeah. And this is really Christopher's episode. Totally. And we can see the issues that he's facing and how similar they actually are to Tony's in a lot of way, which references the things we've talked about before of Christopher being another son figure to Tony mm-hmm. and that there's really almost that same father-son relationship and that link between the two of mm-hmm. them may perhaps even stronger than exists between Tony and AJ. Yeah. But then we also have this relationship between Chris and Polly that I think is really important. Like they're right. important people to each like I don't want to say foils to each other, but like they they have very separate ways of looking at the world and very. looking at things and are very different ways of looking at the world and looking at things. So and I, I'm shocked at this viewing of how slowly Polly becomes a character because like it's it's wild how how like patient they are with rolling out these characters but I like that that's kind of the first interaction that we see between you know major interaction that we see between Chris and Polly because of course we have great episodes that come that are focused on the two of them and their relationship well then that's fascinating because one of the great episodes which a lot of people reference as the greatest episode of Sopranos, Pine Barrens, is actually one that Tim Van Patten wrote. It was mm. his first episode that he mm. writes. He comes along later, and they actually reference it in this episode, which is hilarious. When he pick when they are digging up a meal, he says, "We'll take him to Pine Barrens." Right. Which is wild because he actually writes that later on with right, Terrence right, Winter. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was funny. Just another kind of like meta reference yeah well this whole episode is kind of a meta reference about tv right because we have christopher writing this script which is hilarious i love watching i love his typos and everything like that but um he's talking about tv right he's he's talking about it's a movie i guess but it's very self like i don't know what the right terminology to use here like self-reflective or like metacritical or something like that where you have critique of television or of media within your media and also critique of mafia films, right? Right. Within your own mafia TV show, right? Right. So this is a very like (laughs) multi-layered episode in a lot of ways. Um, And it's interesting to think of that in the context too of this show getting criticism for kind of slamming and stereotyping and generalizing the Italian-American community when it came out and during this time. 
Yeah. For that reason of portraying them as mobsters. Well, it's funny. We have even, like, we were talking to some friends recently, and, like, we even have people in our life who, like, refuse to watch The Sopranos because they think it's too violent, right. for example, or because, you know, of all these different reasons. Right. But, you know, it's... I, I don't know. Like, it, it's... Nothing in the show is done without, like, deep thought and knowledge and, like you know, towards that. And so, like, yeah, they are making a comment on the Italian-American experience, but they're not trying to reinforce stereotypes. They're trying to push back against right. those stereotypes, I think, right? It's, and It's interesting. I mean, I've had conversations with different people at different times who make a conscious decision to not engage with shows that are violent, to kind of not have that as an aspect of their life. Sure. To kind of, like, not bring that in and not something that they want to necessarily engage with or have in their home life or their personal life or for their enjoyment. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about this show is that it's kind of fascinating that a lot of people do see it as a violent show because it is. There is a lot mm -hmm. of violence. There's a lot of casual violence, and it is hard to take. But the different thing about this show than a lot of others is that it's never gratuitous. No. And the use of that violence is never really senseless in terms of its place and purpose mm -hmm. in the show. Mm -hmm. It's always kind of communicating something yeah. deeper. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely very prevalent and we have to be comfortable with that. But it also serves a purpose to communicate more. Yeah, well, and in this episode, right, we it's like an episode where, yeah, we have the one foot shooting. But, right. you know, and we have some, you know, there's definitely, like, different types of violence. We definitely have, like, verbal violence. Yeah. And, um, oh, man, the scene where Tony is passing Carmela all those guns and they go from, yes. like, small, like, pistols yeah. to, like, I don't know guns, obviously, yeah. but, like, big guns. Yeah. Um, big and guns. Big guns. And she's just, like... T she's just like totally nonchalant. She says something like, "Well, here we go," or something. Well, like and they're she wearing their this... wedding clothes. They're all dressed. Yeah, up. they I just came back that from that wedding. Image, yeah, like the image of that scene really kind of summed up quite a bit. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's really yeah. Yeah, that wedding is great too because that poor bride, right? She's crying because all of a sudden, like everyone leaves, right? <laughs> Probably including her own dad. I don't know, like. Right. You know, I would imagine he's the one who seemed to know about these indictments, right. which was, I don't know how he found out about them. So it's Barisi, right? Mm -hmm. Her dad Larry, is Larry yeah. Roy Barisi. And I think he said that he had, well, he, oh, he says, right. he says that right. there was a, a copywriter, I think. His, someone's Gumar is a copywriter. Someone's Gumar, Gumar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, but yeah, had... but I, I guess he would probably have left the wedding to pack up his guns and money too. I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that... That th poor girl crying. Is it when Pussy took back his check? Right. Yeah, saying that he wouldn't have given her a G note if he knew that this was coming, and then he yeah. goes and takes the money back. I didn't understand what the word G note meant. A thousand? Yeah. I suppose? <laughs> yeah, a I don't G. Know. I don't know. I don't use these terms Yeah, well, jazz. you you knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what it was. Yeah. I think... Okay. Well... I mean, again, this the Goodfellas reference is, is pretty hilarious, also considering the amount of Goodfellas alumni yeah, are in the show. Yeah, all of them, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the show can't really avoid being compared to something like this, but it, it really does play with that in that it hires and uses a cast of people that are 
alumni to an insane degree. It's almost 30 actors There's a in this show. Like, I think it's a BuzzFeed article. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Got fun looking for yeah. that. Yeah. It, you look up. Some look of our up. favorites are Big Pussy as Man at Coat Rack in yeah. introductory scene of Goodfellas. He was so good at Polly as Man Who Gets Out of Car in Flashback. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting when you think about that, actually. So are all our... Are most of those actors Italian? Mm. Because that's been a thing, you know, like that's come up a lot recently in terms of like trans actors, for example, right? So having like non-trans people play trans right. characters in film, right, has right. become a big issue. So I clearly some of those actors are right. Italian. And so I wonder if, like how they grapple with that role and how non-Italian actors grapple with their representation of a certain group, right? Yeah. Like you have to be so careful as an actor to do justice to your representation of people writing, like carefully represent the characters that you're Absolutely. intending to represent. So, um, but yes, a lot of them yeah. were a good fellas. Yeah. To speaking to wrap speaking that of up. the actors, it was great watching this episode and seeing some of the continuity errors of who shows up in this episode and does not line up with those actors later on yeah in the series so we well had... i was like i was like that's not silvio's wife because she right. she's very iconic looking and I, pussy's I don't know. wife also yeah different than, yeah. than who we have later on but the huge one is that we have gino who walks into the right. bakery i know is actually Vito, who becomes a major character with later a major on, story arc with a major story arc of his own yeah. he just comes back as a different person I kind of, I don't mind that. Adriana did it already. I don't think she really was that hostess in the uh, first episode. I don't think that was. But at least that, that was... is possible. We can't yeah. have, Gino couldn't just be Vito, who's in the mob. And... Maybe he had a prior identity before being Vito. Wow. That deep. would be deep. Heavy. <laughs> Entirely possible. Okay. Just as the same looking guy with another Italian name. Yeah. I think there was a few things that I wanted to talk about mm -hmm. in terms of, well, maybe starting with Carmela, the way that she interacts with Livia. Yeah. When she goes to Green Grove and is talking to her and convincing her to come out to brunch. And it's actually for the intent of hiding all these guns. Right. I like that scene. And there's something about seeing Carmela all dressed up saying, here we go again, handling weapons and stacks of money. Where, again, she's kind of going beyond that line of, of being complicit in everything. And we, we realize that she's more aware and she's more involved than maybe she lets on. She is kind of deliberately kept in the dark and is not involved in the business. But she knows more than it seems in the same way that clearly Livia is a lot more involved and knows more than, than she puts out there. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was really interesting where she's pushing. Livia knows something's up. Livia says... Did he cheat on you again? And then Carmela has to say, you think I have some other agenda? Yeah. You know, and then the Livia keeps on pushing back. So there's this kind of like spat. Yeah. And the only way that Carmela can actually get her to leave is when she says, you'd think I'd come here to talk to you. Don't flatter yourself. And then Livia kind of goes along with it. So the family interactions really require pretty aggressive measures and to kind of put something onto the other person in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. And we see that with Tony's constantly deflecting questions mm -hmm. and constantly when he's at fault, either focusing the attention somewhere else or focusing the attention on something that the other person did wrong. Yeah. 
So it's really interesting to yeah. see how those characters interact. Yeah, no, and how they learn those behaviors from one another. It's a very for sure. cutting family dynamic. Yeah. Um, I really like when in the car ride, sorry, this is again kind of random, but I'm at random right now. When Tony and Christopher are in the car, at first, Tony's like so mad at Christopher, right, for shooting yeah. that guy in the foot. And then he kind of realizes, oh, like he is depressed. And I love how he really mimics kind of the um, like Melfi's language or just like the language yeah. of therapy when he's like, does this word cancer pop into your head a yeah. little bit? A yeah. lot? Like he's like yeah. creating this like measure of depression, right? right? right. Like <laughs> it's kind of like those intake exams for if you're depressed or not, right? Right. Um, and I just love kind of like the kind of sheepish way he does it. And there's something about it. Yeah. And they actually have in a lot of ways like a pretty meaningful conversation, right? I that's, think that's, that's a when, key part of this episode. You know, that's when... You know, because Christopher prior to that has these two conversations, one with Polly that immediately cuts into one with Pussy, right? So, and that's where he's talking about his identity. He's asking them about how they've experienced this regularness of life, right? Yeah. But it's when he's with Tony that that's when he really comes out with that and says, like, I just think the fucking regularness of life is, Yeah. you know. So that's interesting because that comes shortly after a pretty key line that we get from Richard. Right. Dr. Melfi's yeah. ex-husband, where he says, eventually you'll get beyond psychotherapy with che- with its cheesy moral relativism, and finally you'll get down to good and evil, and he's evil. And, and then we get that shot of Tony right after that, right. with his two sides of his face. Yeah. What I think is interesting is, in the same way that we have these kind of key plot developments happen in dreams, I think some of the key issues of the show are introduced by the lesser characters. Mm. So Melfi's family is, are, is, is constituted of not the most important or interesting characters, and Richard is not the most interesting character that we need to invest all of our attention towards but it's interesting that he's the one who comes up with that idea kind of for the first time in the series Mm. at this point which i think is a key part of this show and that's that there are questions of morality and good and evil Mm. in this show and i think that there is outside of moral relativism kind of this something that tony is is cannot break out of Mm. and i know that like right after that we do have that shot that kind of swings around with the train where, again, we see his two faces, which goes back to that Hawthorne quote in college. Yeah. And the first scene that we have in college where it swings around. And the other scenes that we've talked about earlier with lighting and seeing yeah, two sides of somebody. Yeah, but I think that, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that Chase is making the point that people can be evil. I think what I he's showing you either. is this complex character, right? Because I, we do I then agree. jump into this scene where Tony's actually cares about Christopher and I agree and it seems like he's not at first he hits yeah him, but it gets it gets complicated and actually it's that line it's like the fucking regularness of life is too hard for me that's where he really changes mm-hmm. he relates to that I do think though that there is a question that's being introduced I don't think it's nearly as simple as good and evil black mm-hmm. and white good mm-hmm. and bad I don't think a show Tony's of wearing this a level lot of complexity in this episode mm-hmm. by the way <laughs> I don't think that a show with this level of complexity is that simple at any level. But I do think there's a question of can Tony change and are there bad actions? Are there evil actions that have an effect on the world around them? Mm. And I think that 
as simplistic as that is, at its core, that is something that is thought about and and kind of looked at through this show. And I think that Chase works to answer that question throughout the course of the show. And I think he comes to somewhat of an answer by the end. That's my personal take. Yeah. I don't know if Tony changes. Well, exactly. That's the thing. But like, so if, this... the, if the question is, like, can Tony change? It's like, well... No, well, I don't know because he doesn't. Right. You know, like, right. but does that mean that he can't? I don't know. For, well, that's interesting. But I think that this show is really looking at a mobster. You know, there's that joke, like, you know, find a psychotherapist who deals with mobster rel- related depression, you know. Right. Like that, that, hilarious, that hilarious, hilarious joke. therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was just, but, at, he was as good as the co- comedian at the old folks home. <laughs> the problem that Melfi deals with is can her therapy help Tony? Right. Can it help him change? Right. And by the end of the show, I think it's actually a force of, I don't want to say evil. I find it's too simple, Mm. but it's a force of (laughs) negative outcomes. Mm. I think that it does not lead to the intended place. Mm. It does not change things to a place of realization of what's going Mm. on. It's a tool, if anything, to give oneself reason to engage more in that kind of behavior. Yeah. To kind know. of rationalize. Sure. I think his the choice of words about moral relativism being mm-hmm. kind of a bad thing is interesting because um, I teach development. And when we talk about moral development, actually being more like having that sense of moral relativism, like not believing that things are black and white or that things are good and evil is actually like a higher plane of moral understanding, right? right? And so is it a good thing to get past moral relativism? Uh, I don't know. It's like more simplistic and maybe like easier to do that, right? (laughs) And we live in a world that doesn't deal in moral relativism. like. And but I found that kind of interesting that that's where he like those are the words that he right well chose it's to also use. interesting that Richard is the one who introduces that because he's the one who sees things in such a black and white yeah. fashion Italian American stereotypes coming from the mob are bad yeah and that they are tarnishing everybody and it seems so simplistic it's it's kind of ridiculous yeah. really like if if he's that insecure that his entire concept of identity is shattered Mm. by the existence of Mm. the mafia I think that that's something that he would need to reflect on within himself yeah that's a very weak sense of identity totally totally well and I and using using any kind of like one thing as your identity is dangerous in that sense too right like you are likely to get shattered and it's like Dr. Melfi says Jennifer you know where she says with all the things going on in the world I do find some of the dialogue in this episode a bit forced, but it does bring up some well, interesting. I ideas. like, but I like how Christopher talks about how. Yeah, he, maybe it's he's, intentional. Yeah, like he's he's writing the dialogue so. first in his script. Yeah. So. <laughs> but Jennifer talks about you know with everything happening you know with with famine and ethnic cleansing, this is the issue that you focus on. Yeah. And it is interesting as a reflection of who he is as a character, and that is a very simplistic stance, and that is a. It's a funny issue to define your kind of quest for justice yeah that's an interesting cross to bear yeah no it's (laughs) i don't yeah it's an interesting one i i do agree with you about the dialogue but i think like i said at the beginning like this is an episode where we're hearing things come out of characters mouths actually like like i think that the team really needed wanted to convey certain things yeah um 
they probably had an Adriana who was, you know, trying to convince them to look at the plot and look at the <laughs> look at the character <laughs> development. But they are focused on dialogue. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I don't really have too much else to talk about, really. Um, I, I wanted to briefly kind of comment on um, Agent Harris coming mm-hmm. to the back door of the yeah. Soprano house. And just, I like that actor. I don't know his name. Oh, we've looked it up. I know. He has he's great. He hasn't been in as many things as you might have thought. He has a face or something where I feel like I recognized him yeah. every time when I first saw the show, but I don't know if I have. I think we've seen him in something. We'll have to he's look that up. He's shown up in some things. But, but yeah. I just I it's interesting, like with especially with this whole episode kind of building up to this, right? Yeah. Like to um this happening. He's like this kind of okay guy. Like he gives Tony a second yeah. to tell his kids that he has visitors and whatever. Um, yeah. You know, he's a little sassy or whatever. It's but. funny too that we have this, we feel like we're building to a climax of indictments. The FBI comes and it ends up culminating in another issue of identity, mm. of Italian American identity with mm-hmm. Grasso, I think his name yep. is, drops a bowl and Tony says something to him, I wish I know. Knew what something he said. in Italian, yeah. I don't yeah. know what he says. Something pretty offensive, I'm pretty I, sure. It, he was making some kind of hand signal. It looked yeah. like it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how we end up cycling back, circling back to the same issues that are being talked yeah. about throughout the entire episode. Yeah. There's no fireworks of a big, you know, indictment well, or finding a evidence. That breaks. Yeah. There's a bowl that breaks. Yeah. That that the agent says that they'll pay for yeah (laughs) it's kind of like when aj doesn't have a fight and there's yells of boo Boo. (laughs) yeah another great example of anticlimax. yeah i like there are a couple small things that i was thinking and noticing we have christopher's apartment when we see it before they go in there is on jefferson avenue which is obviously the band with uh white rabbit in the previous episode but also in the flashbacks, we see that they're on Jefferson Avenue. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a link between Christopher, where he is, and Tony, and where he comes from. And I think that that perhaps maybe strengthens the bond between them as father and son. There's yeah. another connection there. Yeah. There's, a, there's another connection between not only the depression, but there's a lot of things that they're wrestling with that are quite similar. And in some ways, I think that Christopher really is like the true son figure to Tony. Mm. AJ is more detached from that because he's in the generation down where a lot of these values and connection to the mob has been very watered down by being in the technology or the, the information age. Right. And also by just... I love when he misspeaks um, anarchist as antichrist. Right. And then like the, the conversation kind of goes off the rails. Like... How could like there be two having, antichrists? Yeah, Meadow's like, how could there be two antichrists when there's only one Christ? And he's like, so... Yeah. <laughs> and then I think he says, why don't you shut the fuck up? <laughs> There's something actually um, about that dialogue that is so believable about yeah. a family talking. Yeah, I mean, like it, just, it like totally derails the whole shows. conversation. Um, the other line that I forgot that I wanted to bring up was when he's like, he wants to hide Carmela's jewelry also. And then they, mm-hmm. the thing about their, her nice. engagement ring, and she's like, this isn't stolen. Yeah. And like, it clearly is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one big thing that happens, so I had two thoughts of things that happen near the end. One is obviously there's a huge moment where Livia reveals to Corrado right. about Tony being in 
psychotherapy therapy, yeah. and says, I don't want there to be any repercussions. And she gets cut off, but kind of says like, do I need to spell it out? Do I need to, don't make me say it again. And the way that we've seen her interact with people, those kinds of statements of what she doesn't want, it's hard to not interpret them as that's exactly what she yeah. does want, which is She terrifying. like puts it in your head. Like she yeah. like, yeah. Like he, he wasn't thinking about repercussions. Junior was just kind of confused. Yeah. He like, and she's like, you're a broken record. Yeah. <laughs> but also, he was like, what? Like Tony, yeah. like he wasn't thinking about repercussions. She yeah. put that into his head. It's also another great example of another scene at Green Grove where we have key plot development with something rather absurd going on in the background. Yeah. So we've had meetings before with a sing-along choir. And now we have this hilariously horrible comic. Again, it's like this kind of conflict between two things. So in the dreams, we have like, the in the non-real, we have like the realist plot developments mm. in these scenes where we have something that's seemingly so innocent and harmless. Mm. We actually have some of the most harmful things happening. Yeah, totally. It's really interesting. And the last thing was just the last scene of Chris driving, kind of looping around and picking up the paper, seeing his name there and having a stronger sense of identity. Mm. Yeah, this is who I am, right? This is who like, I that's am. That's my name. This yeah. is who I am. He identifies yeah. with the mob and that strengthens his identity. It also strengthens his connection to that family, yeah. which is actually something rather destructive. I don't know how positive that is. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, it definitely destroys his, eventually destroys his dreams of being a film, a film writer. Yeah. And I think that's a classic Sopranos place to end up in, in a place where somebody's kind of engaged in self-destruction and if you kind of read the writing on the wall it's leading somewhere rather bleak yeah so. well and you see it like in the scene where adriana lovingly refers to him as her tennessee multisanti right right um and she said i never i've never seen you like work Apply so hard on something like yeah um but the tennessee multisanti thing is is really interesting because he's considered to be like the most american of american uh, playwrights and Tennessee writers, Williams. right? Well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> not Tennessee. Yes, I mean, his dialogue was very Tennessee good in this episode. Yes. It was very impressive. Um, no, but I mean, like, just the fact that, I mean, Adriana's obviously, well, we don't know it yet if we're first-time watchers, but she's an extremely smart character. Absolutely. And so, like, her reference to that, but it's like, you know, when we think about, like, plays like um, A Streetcar Named Desire mm -hmm. or Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, it's these, like, very Americana kind of... Yeah. Uh, you know, different facets of it. But I, I just thought that was an interesting choice. And, and especially, like, in terms <laughs> of, like, you know, who are you and what's your name, right? It's actually a pen name, Tennessee right. Williams. I think his last name actually is Williams, but right. his name wasn't Tennessee. Um, it kind of gives Christopher this pen name for his, yeah. you know, for him not being in the mob, for him being this other person, for him yeah. being this aspiring yeah. film writer. And Tennessee Williams is actually interesting, too, because that's an example of an artist who actually kind of elevated his craft for his country. Yeah. He kind of created a American style. playwright. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And people kind of associate that country with his works. Totally. Which is a rather profound thing to do. And also really interesting to think about Italian identity and shaping, or, yeah. shaping identity, what it means to be American. Mm -hmm. What American output is, what that feels like, what that sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if Chris will watch. I said we were leaving it on a bleak place. Maybe 
In the next episode, Chris will keep working at it, <laughs> go to film school. He, he mentions his cousin, by the way, in L.A. The D-girl. The D-girl, yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's his cousin's girlfriend. Oh, yeah, his cousin's someone's girlfriend. Someone's something, yeah, someone's girlfriend. Yeah. These are some very um, subtle, unnecessary and... Things to know about, Pretty, yes. <laughs> pretty un <laughs> unnecessary Sopranos trivia points. Yeah. So... On that note, we're looking forward to coming back next week for, I think, Boca, mm -hmm. where and Christopher learns how to write a great movie. And, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is great. And everybody does great. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening and see you next time.